Welcome to episode 334 of TechSing. On today's show, I'm talking to Adam Waffen, creator of Tailwind CSS. We start out by talking about how important distribution is to the indie founder journey. Not just distribution of product, but distribution of your ideas and efforts. Then we talk about Adam's journey from zero to two million. And finally, we talk about startup lessons learned from playing guitar in death metal bands. Yeah, so Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I really appreciate it. This is another impromptu kind of episode, um, like the last episode that I did with Justin Jackson. And um, where this comes from is a tweet that you uh, posted on Twitter that uh, I'll read it and then you can tell us a little bit more what you're thinking about it. Sure, you yeah. say You say, something that's become clear to me is that distribution is actually the biggest lever you can have, not an audience. Building an audience is still great advice because an audience is a distribution channel, but you can have great distribution without a personal audience. Yeah, yeah. So this is just something I'd kind of been, I don't know, I, th I think it's something that like seems obvious maybe when you um, get to a certain point or like when you kind of make the connection, I, just like a meta conversation. I don't know if this applies to you, but there's been so many times where I've read like a book or something and I'll read a chapter and some piece of advice in it seems like really obvious to me, but then I reread it later, like two years later, and I kind of understand it in a slightly different way that is like yes. really helpful, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah. Um, and this kind of feels like one of those things uh, to me. So for, for me, like historically, all of my business efforts have been based around like my personal brand. You know, I kind of got started selling info products, like books and courses and stuff. And, and um, the best way to sort of, make a big splash with that stuff is to have like a big audience of people who trust you and think you're an expert in something. It's, it's felt very audience driven, but, um, with those sorts of products for me, historically, anyways, it's always been like big launch. And then it kind of just like peters out. Um, and then you have to launch something else and then that peters out and then you have to launch something else. And with the thing that we've been working on lately, which is tailwind UI, which is like a, a set of sort of pre-designed and pre-built, uh, HTML templates that use Tailwind CSS kind of to do all the styling. Uh, it had like a really huge launch and then kind of dropped off, but then it started to like pick up again. And um, it was exciting for me because we, we kind of hoped that would happen, but it's the first time I've ever seen it actually happen with one of my um, products. And I think the reason for it, which is what we sort of hoped and has turned out to be true is that um, there's actually a way for people to keep finding it, kind of unlike all of my other info product stuff. I never really put in the time or effort that was necessary to really build up like a really strong SEO game or anything for any of my like info product stuff. It was really, if you don't know who I am, like probably 95% of the sales came from people who knew about me already before they heard about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas with the product that we sell now, almost all of our traffic comes from the Tailwind CSS documentation. And um, the Tailwind CSS documentation gets millions and millions of visitors every month because the project is just like continuing to grow in popularity. And now I'm pretty confident that just most people who buy it have no idea who I am, you know, and most people who even use Tailwind have no idea who I am. Just like with like Bootstrap, you know, people know what Bootstrap is, but they don't know that Mark Otto created yeah, they don't know who made Bootstrap. it. Yeah. Early adopters probably knew that, you know what I mean? Um, but at this point, the framework sort of has like an identity of its own. Um, so it's been really interesting for me to just sort of like see that actually happen where um, our biggest channel is no longer just people knowing who me and Steve are, who's my partner who I work on the products with. Um, it's the fact that we own this distribution channel, which is this like super high traffic website full of lots of potential customers visiting it all the time who find the product from there. So. Now we finally have a product where like, as this tool, as the open source project gets more and more popular, sales are continuing to climb, which is something I've never had <laughs> historically. Um, so that has just been really interesting to see and is really making me realize um, the power of having like 
a really great way for people to sort of find what you're doing. And it made me realize that what I had all along with a strong audience was really just like another form of this. And I guess the point behind what I was trying to say when I tweeted that was, I think a lot of time, like we give advice to people to build an audience without really explaining why you want an audience. And I think it can lead people down a path where they sort of have like horse blinders on to like other potential distribution channel opportunities or um, get them into a situation where they're sort of like continuing to double down on an audience, even if there's a better opportunity sort of right in front of them that they're not seeing. Like I right now could be continuing to like do content. That's just me writing stuff for myself, like on my blog or creating videos and stuff. And all that stuff is good and all that stuff helps. But actually the best use of my time is continuing to make like the open source framework more popular. So more people discover the products through discovering that. And that doesn't require me being on camera or associating any content with my name or anything like that. It just requires um, improving the product, making sure people using it get help when they get stuck so that people have good experiences with it and tell their friends about it and stuff like that. And, And none of that stuff really requires a personal brand the way that I've sort of kind of doubled down on in the past on other stuff, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And the reason why I was so excited about um, your tweet and the word distribution is it is in a way it sort of harks back to the previous episode that I did with Justin Jackson, where I was trying to get across this concept, but we kept on talking about audience and with audience, what I meant was distribution and what he meant was audience. And I didn't have a word to say mm-hmm. what I meant. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm super happy about uh, your tweet because it helps me define what I'm trying to teach. Isn't it funny that you, you can try and teach something and you still, you still don't know how to say it. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like sort of Newton, like if the word force didn't exist, you know, he wouldn't really have a concept of how to try and define something like gravity or something like that. Yeah. So, so th- just by having, and it, the irony is distribution is such an old word. Yeah. It's as old as the Bible itself. I mean, distribution of thought, distribution of product. I mean, that's what is so interesting about this. So um, when I talk to founders and talk about the different uh, level ups that you go through, and so the very first step that you need to do is essentially learn how to get traffic. What I'm talking about is distribution. I'm yeah. not talking about building an audience and distribution can be, you know, learning SEO, um, distribution can be blogging and all sorts of different stuff. Yeah. And so that's why, why that's Just sort the, of what, you need what to be really discoverable resonated. somehow, right? Like people need, need to find you instead of something well, else. Like, well, exactly. And, and it's almost like there's different distribution phases. So if you're a zero to one before you've done anything, the distribution isn't about product. It's about your efforts. So you need to distribute your efforts to get it in front of other people's eyeballs one mm-hmm. way or another to get to create that surface area for people to sort of, you know, come into like uh, your sphere, you know, yeah. become become front of mind. So that's what was super interesting about this. And with with SEO as well, what's what's also interesting to me is I've, I guess over the last six months, I've met a lot more people who are being very successful and their first effort was SEO. Their first effort was not building an audience. Yeah. So a, a good friend of mine currently is earning half a million a year and everything was based off SEO. You know, the yeah. whole thing was based off. And I, I have, I've got a few other friends who are different sort of step functions down. Another person's earning about 250,000, another about 100,000. So yeah, that's yeah, why I, I was excited. I think it's super interesting. It's something that I've, something I've like historically always said that I have no <laughs> ability to give advice on. Like I've always told people like the only way that I know how to build like a, a business is to start by building an audience because that's what I did and that's what worked for me. And I can't pretend that I have experience in places that I don't and give advice around things that I don't have. But something about like where we're getting to now is like helping me understand how to explain to people what they should actually be trying to do, if that makes sense. I think like the funny thing about SEO, right, is um, I don't know if it resonates with you the same way, but SEO feels like a dirty word in my mind in in some ways, not because (laughs) it actually is, but because it just sounds like this sort of like buzzwordy, oh, we just do SEO, you know, and what does that mean, you know? But at the end of the day, really, it just means like 
trying to make things that will help people find you when they are searching for a solution to their problem organically, you know? Um, and that well, seems like a great way to find distribution for your stuff. In in every case, including the guy who is making 500,000 a year, they started an SEO project just because they'd kind of heard that it was a good thing to do. Then put it out there. Nothing really big happened. Kind of forgot about it and like, you know, moved on to other stuff. And then six months later noticed, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of traffic coming to this thing. Mm. So, yeah. So the, the, so the thing about SEO, why it's kind of difficult for a zero to one is that um, there's no instant, there's nothing instant about it. Yeah. It, it just takes that time to build up. What do you kind of define as SEO in your mind? Like, do you think of it as something that's like a pretty tightly constrained field or like how wide is your definition of it? Well, when I'm thinking about SEO for, for founders, I'm thinking about something like, um, just check out this website, uh, Is It Keto? Okay. I've heard you talk about this before, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ju just check out that site, isitketo.org. So basically it's, it's uh, founders using their technical uh, muscle to basically do some kind of um, collation of interesting information for some kind of niche. And that's, mm. I mean, I know, that there, I know that there is obviously SEO in terms of putting in great keywords and getting people to your sales pages and things like that. But what, when I'm talking about like a zero to one founder trying to create a money-making effort from SEO, this is the type of thing I'm talking about. So what about this, I'm, I guess, do you think of as being SEO kind of specifically? Like, do people find this site by searching on Google? Like, yeah. is, you know, whatever, Swiss cheese, keto, or? <laughs> I mean, basically what the, this, this type of site and the, and the kind of things that I'm talking about, and this is what distribution is, is, it's about creating a site that has, you know, tens, twenties, fifty thousand useful, interesting, pay, pay, yeah, yeah, very yeah. useful and interesting to a very specific niche yep. that can serve. And so that distribution is very wide. So mm -hmm. maybe you only get a couple of searches off each one, but you've got this wide flytrap. Yeah, this sort so of that's like long tail about. sort of yeah thing. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 interesting. I have like a related story, I guess. Um, we don't do a very good job with measuring things, I guess. Um, and especially with attribution of sales and stuff, I, I really couldn't tell you like how much of an impact different things really had other than like very kind of abstract, vague trends, you know? But one thing I did notice is, um, and this is maybe just interesting advice for people who are wondering what they can do in terms of SEO, especially people coming from where I was, where it was just not something I had ever intentionally thought about or done anything for at all. Right. Um, I just Googled like our product to see what it looked like on the Google search results page and just tried to like look at it from an outsider's perspective and think like, does this communicate that this might solve like the problem that I have, you know? And it sounds so silly, but but our like page titles, which made sense when we were just like filling in the template in like our Laravel <laughs> app, you know, based on like the app name and like the, the title of the page or whatever. When you saw them in Google, they just didn't really do the right job. Mm -hmm. um, I think they used to say like, for example, uh, if you were trying to find like the page that showed you all the modal dialogue examples that came with Tailwind UI, it would say like modals dash Tailwind UI, which is right from like a hierarchical perspective. But to someone who's like Googling for like Tailwind CSS modal, that doesn't really communicate the value clearly. So now uh, if you search for like Tailwind modal, I think you find... Now you'll see like modals dash official Tailwind CSS UI components. That's like the title of the page, right? So now yes. when someone sees it, it's like, oh, this is like the legit one made by like the people who actually made the framework. And we still haven't done that great of a job because like the descriptions are like half content from the templates that make no sense that we have to figure out how to fix. But even just making that little change where in search results, we have like the word official Tailwind CSS that no one else can like really put in there. We saw like revenue per day jump by like 20% from doing it, this sort it, of thing. Well, that's that's fantastic. And it reminds me of something that I was um, tweeting about recently, which is that everything is your product. Yeah. So any anything, any part of the distribution that you do, anytime someone's eyeball lands on something that you distribute, 
that is your product. So in this case, that Google that Google link is mm -hmm. your product. Yeah. You know? And what made me think about it was that someone sent me a cold email, which I clicked, and in the UTM tracking, it said <laughs> it said sales prospecting, and I'm like, I'm. I don't want to go to a site where they're telling me that they're doing sales prospecting. Like that's part of the product. You know, the link that you send me in the email, the things that it shows me is part of the product. So that's exactly, um, that's, that's very nice what you've got going there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So I don't know, like, um, that's kind of where I'm at with this stuff anyways, it's just sort of like realizing that, uh, the audience stuff is super great stepping stone but I think it's important to eventually um, try to graduate from it, at least if you're going to take that route. I mean, there's certain people who don't need to, you know what I mean? Like, I think like Joe Rogan is always going to be like a personal brand, you know what I mean? Like, um, but uh, for me, it, I've it, it's always been a sort of a source of anxiety thinking that, you know, everything is tied to me. What if I ever wanted to like sell this business or... Um, you know, what if at some point I just don't have the same reputation for, um, whatever reason, you know, like there's so much like ageism in tech, you know what I mean? Like, I think a, a big fear for a lot of people is like, well, when I'm not, uh, in my late twenties anymore, um, are people going to think I just don't know any of the cool hip stuff anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's like, um, it's nice to have something that you've built that isn't really dependent on your own sort of personal uh, reputation in a sense. So um, yeah, that's just something we've been working on a lot lately is trying to figure out how to kind of break away, like still leverage it because we still have a really strong reputation, really huge audience of people that really are into what we do. Um, but recognizing that there are more opportunities out there than that. And some of them have been like right under our nose the whole time, you know? <laughs> So, so something I thought might be fun to do is to go through your journey. So you, I know you've, you've, re, I don't know whether you're at three million, but I know you've, you've crossed the two million threshold um, with Tailwind, and I haven't seen a, a, a blog update. But that two million is enough. You don't need to <laughs> to qualify sure. any further than that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's already, it's already like smashing, smashing through a certain barrier there. But I thought it might be fun to go through your journey, um, look at the different phases of the journey. So zero to one. One to a thousand, one to ten thousand, ten thousand to a hundred thousand, and a hundred thousand to a million, and take this um, sort of what are the key learnings, and and then how does this, I guess, the distribution idea as well fit into each of those phases? Yeah, um, this is tough <laughs> because I think um, just looking at like the way that you kind of suggested breaking it down, I feel like all the first four steps were all happened at once for me. Interesting. Um, okay, so. I guess it depends on the sort of thing that you're building. But for me, the very first thing I put out was uh, an info product, right? And it did, I think it was like $63,000 in the first um, couple of days. So, so that, wait, just hold on one second. That, that was the very first thing you ever did. Like you did no, you did not, no not the stuff before very, that. very first thing. So if we want to start okay. from like very, very first thing, um, yeah. I think the very first thing that I successfully completed and put onto the internet to try to charge money for was a SaaS app. Like every, uh, software Which developer is... attempts to do with no effort put into marketing at all uh just kind of assuming if you build it they will come you know what i mean which is funny because it's like in some ways i think what we're talking about with this audience distribution stuff i think people can almost misinterpret that to think that it's okay to just build something and then try to find channels for it after it's built which i still think that's, is dangerous and a bad idea so so um, that so that's the new so that's the nuance here so that's why i wanted to go into this because mm -hmm. you you basically put out the SaaS app but you didn't have like in in this in the indie founder level up game that i talk about in the boot camp so i talk about level one being a noob where you just need to learn how to build some traffic using a single yeah. method level two selling one very simple thing like a plugin or a course level three becoming a grower of traffic traffic using multiple methods and then level four now you can start doing a membership site or a SaaS. sure so you um straight away went for level four and, and what what was the journey what other stuff did you do before you decided to get to that single product and what changed your mind about that yeah so i think that the important thing is that for me when i was building it i i don't think i was really coming at it with the same mindset that a lot of um, sort of indie 
founders have, which is like, I really am trying to build a real business here. I'm trying to replace my income. I'm trying to like build a real thing. For me, it was more about, I've started a bazillion side projects, gotten them all to like the 80% mark and then sort of lost interest. And I want to just like push one of them over the finish line just to be able to say like, I did something end to end. It's on the internet. You can actually I did pay it. for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That was, that was kind of it. And I, and I figured, even though I think I've done 90% of the work a dozen times in the past, I bet you in that last 10%, there's like so many things that I'm, I'm going to learn. That's going to be really valuable. And if it does well, that's awesome. You know what I mean? But I didn't know the first thing about how to make it do well or anything. All I knew was like how to build software. I'm just a programmer, you know? What was so, it by the way? It was an app called nitpick CI, which is actually still online. And I think has like three subscribers still. I think the most it ever had at one time was like 14 or 15 ever. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was a tool for uh, aud- doing some like automated PHP code review stuff. So it would uh, mm-hmm. look at your GitHub pull requests and find like violations in your like code style make sure that you were using tabs instead of spaces or whatever i love um, the brand by the way nitpick ui that's awesome yeah Nit- yeah nitpick was, ci sorry yeah, yeah 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 so it was it was fun and it was a simple app at the end of the day and i built it because we needed something like that at work and um i kind of built it i put it out i don't think i even like told anyone about it until the day that it was done you know what i mean like i my friends knew about it but i didn't like tweet about it or try to drum up mm-hmm. any attention i just tweeted it yeah. out there and I had like a bunch of friends with big audiences like Taylor Otwell, who created Laravel, for example, was a good friend of mine at this point already. So he like shared it, which is a huge advantage over anyone else trying to do something like this. Yeah. And it still went nowhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> because it takes more than just one like influencer tweet or whatever for something to take off. But I think to date that whole app has maybe made like four grand. And I think I released it in like went fall 2015, you know? Well, it's also, I mean, so the, the, as well as just releasing something and building something, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you need to learn, like, for example, sales funnels and conversion and yeah. copy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So even if you did release it and you did somehow have this magical, you know, I don't know, Donald Trump tweeted it and said, hey, check this out <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like to a million people. It's still, it's still not going to do that well because there's so much else to learn, you know, before you put something out. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So I put that out. It did nothing. And then um, a few months later is when I started working on my uh, my first book. And with the book, I really wish I could remember in vivid detail exactly what all the sort of influences and inspiration were leading up to it. But somehow... You can't remember why you, why you switched. You can't. Well, I knew I've always wanted to like write a book or make a course mm-hmm. or something. Ever since, like, I remember being a kid when we had our first computer, I was like eight years old. I would like wake up at five in the morning, super excited to like work on my own like FAQ for Doom. You know what I mean? I just like, (laughs) I just loved like creating like polished content. Something about that just like speaks to me, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So when I got like really into software development um, and I started consuming all this stuff and learning from all these people who had written all these books, I just kind of got that itch like, man, I want to write a book like these people because I love what they've done. And I would love to be able to say that I did that too. So I had a bunch of like false starts on that. I think there's a tweet you can find from me that's back in like 2014, where I tweeted that I was working on like an outline for a book that like never went anywhere at all. Um, but I, I met up with a friend of mine who had, who was an audio engineer who actually like, I kind of interned at his studio to learn how to be an audio engineer. Cause that's what I was doing before I got into programming full-time and he was making the transition from actually recording bands for a living to um creating content teaching other people how to like engineer and mix records and stuff um so i met up with him for coffee and we kind of talked about what he had done and uh he kind of just walked me through everything that he had put out and kind of some of the results he was having and it kind of got me more excited about it And, and at this time i had already had this itch for writing this book, which was a book on TDD at the time. This is the thing that I tweeted about in like 2014 that was just rolling around in the back of my head for like two years. So I I explained to him that um, it just seemed like such an ambitious idea that I didn't know how I was going to find time to do it while working full time. And he suggested like, why don't you just try and make something really small that you can 
sell for like 10 bucks just to mm-hmm. get some practice. You know what I mean? It's kind of yes. like the app idea just to like finish something and get it out there. Mm, nice. And I thought, sure, that's that actually sounds like doable and more motivating. So I started thinking about ideas. I started thinking about what do people sort of um, ask me for help with? You know, what sort of topics do does the community at large consider me an expert in? And something I had been really into for like the year leading up to this that I had been tweeting about a lot was sort of functional programming principles and con- sort of translating them to PHP and showing people how to sort of solve common problems using like map reduce and filter and other more esoteric kind of array transformation stuff. And um, when I was just thinking of ideas, I thought of that one. And I thought that's something that I find like really fun that I know people on Twitter are always like sending me snippets of their code saying like, how can I refactor this to use that sort of approach? So I thought maybe I can make like um, a 30 to 40 page like little mini book that just covers like some of my favorite refactorings and kind of principles for kind of doing stuff this way. Um, so I think I announced that on Twitter at that time when I had that idea and started uh, working on it. And this was in like March of 2016. And then within like three weeks, it was already like 105 pages long or something. You know what I mean? I'd accidentally written like a whole book instead of a mini book, <laughs> which I don't think if I'd, if I'd known it was going to be that big getting into it, I think I would have never started because I would have been just kind of overwhelmed by the size of it. You had some validation from your audience, from the stuff that you've been tweeting around. So mm-hmm. you had you had an idea that, so there, there's, a, there's a couple of key um, things that you did here. And I, I sort of think there's this kind of, it's almost like there's a crucible of, of things you need to put in there. And you did something that you thought was fun. Yeah. You did something that you thought was small, that you yep. could get out there really quick you kind of had some level of feedback loop from not just your brain that this was going to be that this was going to be something and yeah. to me that those are those are the kind of sparks of of how this whole thing gets totally started. yeah i think i did this one way better and and as i started getting into it because i had seen that like the saas app went nowhere this is i might this might be like revisionist history but i feel <laughs> like that's what prompted me to start really studying like how are other people having success, like launching info products and stuff like that? Because um, I wanted to just try and do it as right as possible, you know? And that's when I discovered, I think like Nathan Barry was like the primary sort of person that I discovered that had been sharing a lot around this and interviewing other people about this. Like I remember he did a podcast interview with Sean McCabe about his lettering course that where Sean said he made a hundred grand in his launch. And I was like, oh my God, that's insane. How That's the craziest mm-hmm. thing I've ever heard in my life. Um <laughs> So I just got like really into that and started consuming a lot of that content and trying to apply uh, some of that advice. So yeah, leading up to that whole launch, it took me from about March till May to finish that book. And um, you know, one of the pieces of advice I had seen was that, okay, you shouldn't just release a book because a book you can only charge like 20 bucks for, you know, that's like the kind of the market rate for a book. And if you don't have a huge audience where you can sort of make that up in volume, then you need to figure out a way to charge more money for it to be like worth your time. And one of the ways you can do that is having multiple tiers and great packages with extra content. And I had always liked making screencasts and I'd been doing it for years. So I decided, oh, I'll supplement the book with a bunch of screencasts covering the same content, but just in video form. And then I also Mm -hmm. had that SaaS app that I had written the year before where I had applied a lot of the different ideas from that I was teaching in the book into how that code was written. And I thought I should just like include the source code to that app as one of the things for the tiers because the app is fucking going nowhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not going right. to make me any money on its own. Maybe I can figure out a way to like make money from the app without finding customers for the actual app, but instead finding customers Love for it. the source yeah. code. So I had three tiers. One was just the book. One was the book plus videos. And one was the book plus the videos plus the source code. And I think the most expensive one was like $109 or something at launch. So I, I had started an email list from like the day I started writing the book, collecting like signups and stuff. And I was always tweeting out little like snippets from the book and little kind of excerpts from it and sending out sample chapters and building up that list. I think I only had like 1600 people on the list by the time I launched, but um, I launched it and made like 25 grand in the first day. And then like another 20 grand the next day, and like another 20 grand the next day. And it was like a three day launch window. And then the kind of sale price was done. And then people stopped 
buying it basically. So that was, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some things we could talk about there, but it still continued to make money, but just not as much as it did during that sort of launch window. But yeah, I made like 65 grand in like three days and I was like, holy crap. And I had had this idea of rolling around in the back of my head this whole time for doing this testing book or testing course. And I thought if I want to do that, and I think the market for that is bigger than this book that I just released, because I know it's a topic that like everyone's always trying to learn and getting frustrated with. I think my best chance at having the time to do that is quitting my job right now while I have this um, sort of big pile of cash that I can pull from and just working on that. So I quit my job like I literally I released the book the day before I think I think it was like the week before uh, me and my wife got married and then we went on our honeymoon. And as soon as I came back, I was like, hey, guys, I'm leaving. I'm done. <laughs> And I quit my job and then I started working on that testing course and sort of marketed it the exact same way. So I had a landing page sending out like snippets and teaser videos and stuff. And I launched that in like early access in November before it was finished. So like six months later. And that did, um, I think it did like a hundred grand on the first day. Something that I found super interesting about what you said is that you you didn't leave your job for the first for the first product. And a lot of advice that you'll see around indie hackers and stuff like this is, you can't do this unless you leave your job. Like you're not, you're not gonna, mm. you're not gonna create get success unless you leave your job. You have to put everything into it. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's risky to leave your job if you don't have any sort of way to pay your bills. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so for me, I I built that first product evenings and weekends, and it worked out because. Um, we didn't have any kids at the time, so I had time to do that. And, uh, I released that and then I quit to start working on the other thing, but I don't know that I would have been able to finish the second product in, in my evenings and it's weekends. Too big. It was sort of, too it, big. it was like a 24 hour video course. It ended up being 166 screencasts. You know, it was just wow, like yeah. outrageously long. Um, and it took me a year and a half to actually finish it. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it's a good idea to to try and start with small things that you can use to slowly replace a bill here, a bill there, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Until you yeah. can, I, I think in, in a perfect world, I, this isn't the path that I took because I, I kind of had enough success with that first small product that I felt confident taking the sort of leap. But I think in a perfect world, you'd find a way to sort of work your job, work on like some side project stuff, maybe transition to like freelance consulting, then maybe transition to like four days a week freelance consulting, then three days a week, you know? I think yeah. the more gradual you can do it, the maybe not the better, you know what I mean? But <laughs> there there is like a some benefit to having some pressure for sure, but mm -hmm. pressure will make you make bad decisions too and desperate decisions. So, I guess I can well, I can only speak for my story, which is that I'm I'm glad that I did the first product in my evenings and weekends, and then I know that I couldn't have done the second one without leaving. So that worked out for me in a sense, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe there's just like no like really good dogmatic answer on that question. I think so, but well, but but look, I mean, there's no probably no complete answer, but. The reason why I think people do put themselves in that high-risk situation is because they fall into the myth of having to start with a SaaS. They fall into yeah. the myth of not starting on level one. So they, got, so they sort of go, well, the only way I'm going to get a product this size created is if I basically work on it full time. But yeah. if they do just a tiny little info product or something very small, that they can definitely do in their spare time. And they can test the waters and learn marketing yeah. and learn all that stuff. I think there's an a benefit to doing a product that you can finish too, right? Like a SaaS is not a finishable product, really. You know? <laughs> That's a, such a good point. <laughs> like so true. Th there, I'm sure there's a few good examples out there where people have built like sustainable SaaS apps that don't really actively develop new features or um, have no bugs or whatever. You know what I mean? But <laughs> that, no that, bugs? Does that, that exist? seems like a really small portion of <laughs> stuff. Whereas like a book, there, there's no like maintenance to do on a book other than maybe uh -huh. at the marketing level if you're trying to make sure that you're still um driving new traffic to it and stuff like that but the product itself it has an end point you know um 
literally everything I've done so far has been products that can be finished. You know, I've, I have yet to do something that is like just a recurring revenue sort of uh, build it forever sort of product. Well, you're in you're in an interesting phase now because you've you've proven that there is a, a very big uh, market for this for the tailwind stuff. So, you know, unless you wanted to go super large, do you even need to go down that path? I mean, it's, there's so much you can already do. Yeah, I don't know. I I I wonder about that. <laughs> I mean, I think recurring revenue is everyone's sort of kind of white whale that they're always chasing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I would love yeah. to feel like I had the security of that in a sense. But with the stuff that we sell, in some ways, there's an advantage of like getting all that lifetime value up front, you know? So yep. instead of yep. getting 30 bucks a month from someone until they churn, we can get like 250 bucks from someone right up front, which I don't know how that compares to churn at most SaaS apps or especially like be to prosumer stuff or whatever you know i i know for something like um grasshopper or something like a you know like your uh telephone service or something yeah, yeah. that your churn rate is probably pretty low you know <laughs> like that's like big big companies paying for stuff like that they buy it and they never cancel um but yeah i remember seeing a talk at microconf it was a an attendee talk by Chad, I can't remember his last name. He does um, boardgametables.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a talk on like, it was called something like everything you've ever learned at MicroConf is wrong. And <laughs> he was <laughs> nice. talking about how like MRR um, isn't that important. What's important is lifetime revenue. And that like yeah. point like really stuck with me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, there's a lot of businesses out there that do just fine just selling one-off things and the businesses themselves are sustainable without like the without the revenue being subscription based you know what i mean there's always that fear that well what if what happens when we finally sell our product to the last person on earth who needs it (laughs) and now everyone has it and no one (laughs) needs it anymore right and that is like i don't know how rational that sounds from the outside but it's definitely something i think of um a lot but so far it's been good you know we we have very predictable revenue even though everything is um like one-time sales driven like week to week it's within five thousand dollars of the previous week like for the last eight months you know since i've heard that from many founders yeah um so um richard chang who creates uh php grid which is a which is a grid uh just a simple grid system i don't you may have run into it in your travels but but basically yeah, he's had very, very constant revenue for years at this point. I mean, like, yeah, seven years. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think there's any shortage of people learning web development. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. our product isn't. Uh, you know, there's always like new people coming through the meat grinder of the tech industry. So, That's right. Yeah. Um, so with any luck, it'll it can work out and be sustainable. But that doesn't mean we're not, you know, always kind of keeping our ear to the ground for opportunities that. Uh, could be more recurring, even even if it's like stair stepping to that. You know, like we've talked about the stair stepping stuff a little bit. We're starting with a small product, starting with like one time sales, and I think there's. Um, I don't think the jump from like one time sales to subscription revenue necessarily has to be from one cliff to the other. You know, if you look yeah, at yeah. a company like Sketch, they have like a pricing model that sort of bridges that in a sense. I mean, a lot of companies do this now where there's like a one-time upfront cost and maybe you get like two years of updates for that. And then yeah, if yeah. you don't have to keep paying, you don't lose access to what you paid for. But if you want to keep receiving the latest updates, you can pay, maybe it's like 50% of what the initial upfront cost was to subscribe to another year of updates or support or whatever. And um, that's like a model that is kind of interesting to me like i it, it definitely seems like there's ways to bridge the gap from one time sale to like straight up saas this 49 dollars a month sort of thing so like when you really see that like most people are trying to start from here and get to saas in like one big jump mm-hmm. there's like so many steps along the way that you can do 
take to sort of de-risk that like way more than I think people yeah. even realize, like just saying, well, why don't you start with a one-time sales product? Well, now you've introduced like one step in between. Well, why don't you start with a really small one-time sales product? Okay. So now there's two steps in between. Well, after that, why don't you try creating a one-time sales product that has a recurring support cost? Okay. Well, now you exactly. added another step yeah. in between and you can just make those leaps smaller and smaller and smaller, which to me seems like a really sensible approach to take. I love the word de-risk in that, in what you just said as well. I think a lot of people um, don't get that, that, because basically you're spending life hours, you're spending time. It's, it's, you're spending your life on this stuff. So you should de-risk that that time is wasted. Yeah. And to, to de-risk that time is wasted is you, you just bring it all back. And um, it's sort of like, just take one tiny step at a time. I yeah, mean, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of going blue in the face saying it, but it's, it's, it's just that I speak to, you know, hundreds of founders and always they show me their SaaS and I'm like, oh, you know, it's a facepalm moment. Oh, you missed out so much right here. Um, something I wanted to, to talk to you about was, um, so you've, you've gone through, it sounds like you went from zero to 100,000 you know, on your first, uh, with your first info product, which is kind of awesome. So yeah. then there's this big gap between a hundred thousand and a million. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, did existence proof of, you know, your friends um, like Taylor reaching those kind of numbers sort of help you believe it was possible? You know, did that play any role in it? Um, good question. I don't know. I think, I think I've been like continuously blown away by the results that we've had honestly <laughs> like mm, yeah. steve my business partner i think is generally much more i don't think optimistic is necessarily the perfect word but sort of has like <laughs> higher expectations than me so like after i did that testing course i did a a, a Vue.js course which did not quite as well as the testing course but like really well still i think it did just about 100 grand in the first day but it was like launched and finished and then they didn't touch it again so it sort of died off whereas the testing course i worked on it for a year and a half and it was for sale that whole time so i was constantly able to market it because i was adding new content to it which helped yeah the oh, like, kind of just kept sales higher i think um, but then i partnered up with steve shoger who's a designer who i've just been friends with locally and we had been like working to build his audience for a couple of years before we released our first product. We got him from like, having like 700 followers on Twitter to now he has 95,000 followers on Twitter just from That's sharing fantastic. like UI design tips. This like really sort of formulaic like before and after with some really concrete like suggestions tip format that we kind of did for several years and really, really built up that audience. And then we released the refactoring UI book and that did something like um 400 grand on the first day and like a million in the first month so that blew my mind you know and that that that's when i started to think about those interviews those nathan barry interviews that i listened to back when i was like first getting into the stuff and i remember how i felt when i heard that someone had a hundred thousand dollar launch and it's like we just did a launch that was like five times bigger than that (laughs) you know what i mean um so i don't know like at what point it became clear to me what was possible. I, I don't think I ever had expectations for it. It's, it's always just been actually seeing it happen and realizing like, holy crap, this is, there's a, a lot that you can do here by selling is it, work online. So is it, is it the same you building these, these courses now that, um, and, and these things now that are in a sort of million dollar revenue range, or is there some sort of fundamental shift um, in sort of core, I guess for you, I don't know a good way to express this, like a first principle thinking change. Is there any sort of, what are the foundational ways you think differently now versus you who released that first product? I don't think there's many, honestly. I think I've just used the same (laughs) approach generally. Like obviously there's like little takeaways that you learn from little decisions that you made when you realized that you could have made like decisions slightly better. But in terms of like the overall approach, I think even from that very first product i really validated to myself at least that that um basically like building things in public and teaching what you know online and um just like working hard to i mean like i think like the, the general theme to almost every product that i've released has been like my approach has always been to 
everything that I've tried to teach is usually me taking things that I've learned from like outside of the community that I exist in and like bringing it back and translating it. You know, I sort of think of myself as like someone who like got on the ship and sailed across the ocean and found some ancient texts in a different language full of knowledge and translated it back to like my homeland's language and brought it back and like shared it with everyone. Like my first book was taking a bunch of principles that I learned from the Ruby community and translating them for the PHP community. And then the testing thing was the Ruby and Java communities taking all this like test driven development workflows and translating them all to PHP. And then the Vue.js course was taking a bunch of ideas that people were doing in React and translating those to Vue. And then the refactoring UI book was taking like a bunch of knowledge that like Steve has about designing user interfaces and trying to like funnel it through like my developer brain and spit it out in a way that developers will find it helpful and um, share it with them, you know? <laughs> but, but wait, wait one sec, that's all audience first. With this whole podcast was started because of distribution and your <laughs> new realization. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> so, so- <laughs> so is there a, so I guess so I guess um so you've got a you've got a, a, a tried and tested formula mm-hmm. of like audi- audience driven stuff yeah. but you, it's this the distribution stuff the non audience driven stuff that's emergent for you right now that's yeah, something that, that you're just just that's like into. what we've just been what I felt like I've been trying to chase in a sense but never really had I, I've always kind of seen it as like the split where it's like, okay, you can build like an audience driven business or you can build like an SEO driven business. And there's like, they're separate. And the distribution thing is me like bridging the gap between those and realizing like, actually both of those approaches are in service of this like other bigger abstract purpose, which is people being able to find what they're looking for or people being able to find what you have for sale, you know? Yeah, Um, mind share, yeah. Yeah, just, just realizing that I think is what's been interesting for me. It's it's not that there's like this way or this way. It is in a sense, but they're not totally disconnected. They're two branches of like the same tree. And like, I didn't see the tree before, you know? Um, so it's exciting to me because I feel like being able to see it is going to open up possibilities. Maybe there's other branches on that tree too that yeah. I, I'm going to be able to see now, you know? The book is being written. Yeah, <laughs> the Adam Wathen, the Adam Wathen, the, the 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 book of your life is still being written, and we're going to find out over the next few years what's going to happen. Yeah. And the great thing is, is that you are very, a very public personality, and you do stuff in public, so we'll really get to see, and maybe maybe you know we'll we'll do another chat <laughs> in a couple yeah, of years and see fun. where this whole thing went. Yeah, we can talk about the Stripe competitor that I created and how it's worth uh, two trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah. That would be like in typical texting fashion, right? Like <laughs> that would be. I mean, I, that's, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping, right? Like that's why I came on this podcast. I'm like, people who go on texting go places. You know, that's so <laughs> true. That's so true. I mean, it's um, it's it's crazy. It's crazy how many um, I mean, we're the unicorn of podcasts in many mm-hmm. ways. You know, what other podcasts, you know, interviews these people and then they go on and build billion dollar yeah, businesses. It's so crazy it. that you can go back and listen to the early episodes <laughs> and hear like firsthand with no ability to see into the future. Like, yeah, so I'm working on like this app for like kind of like people to pick people up in cars and drive them places <laughs> or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. And yeah, awesome. and no understanding, no, no sort of, no understanding of the, of the potential. Yeah. The scale that it would reach, you know? So, um, yeah, it's really cool. So something I wanted to bring up was, um, you, you are, you are a musician, used to be a musician. I mean, I feel like when, when you know how to play an instrument, you're a musician, you know, I don't, but like, but I'm not actively, I don't play guitar much anymore. You know, maybe an hour a month at the most. I used to I play like say eight hours I gave a day up and, being a musician because I, because I used to, you know, I, yeah, like, it was my I would say that dream. too. I would, I would say that too. I, I feel like I've replaced music with like making, you know, uh, software stuff, which sounds like so lame, but somehow it scratches like a lot of the same itches. Um, well, for no. me, it wasn't lame because the reason the the reason why I made the shift was because I tried for fifteen years to be a frontman, a songwriter, and a, and a famous and successful musician, and it was so fucking hard. <laughs> and then I tried to do code, and it was so easy <laughs> to just build websites and stuff. Yep. So that was basically I was just, 
it's just about talent you know i don't know i was i wasn't talented at it but anyway the, the, the what i wanted to bring up was that you used to be in a death metal band right yeah I'm, I'm several death metal bands yeah i mean you are you are a true death metal like and to me this is this is you're a kind of a unicorn person because i don't know any death metal people uh, yeah sure so, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I i've got to ask like how i mean when you're like so when i'm coding i've i've got my favorite music in the background mm -hmm. right and it just it helps me concentrate so when you're coding do you have death metal in the background honestly i don't listen to music much when i code but when i do okay it is usually death metal yeah so <laughs> or awesome. there's like a lot of like stoner metal bands that are a little easier to listen to like when you're uh working like i remember writing writing the first book um this band neurosis which is like a stoner death metal -y band that's just like really slow and like droning that was like the soundtrack for that whole thing and um <laughs> it was good and, and then there's other times where like there's this band entombed that i love from sweden like their first two albums especially and i've been listening to that i listened to that on repeat like all of last year basically while i was working um it's funny like i i, I basically will listen to an album or two for working for very long periods of time you know what i mean like i can definitely think like yep those three months i listened to that album at work but when i'm in the car or whatever i'm switching stuff up oh i'd like to listen to this today listen to this today but you just kind of form this like habit of like what is like the ambience of my office supposed to sound like during this like era of my work and that's a uh, um, sort of what does, happens do you get the same sort of i mean do you think that so when i listen to like some kind of i don't know I tend to listen to EDM that's kind of sure. euphoric yep. and like lots of girl girly type of notes in it. But I guess it, it releases certain things in my brain. Do you think that when you're listening to the, somehow your brain interprets death metal in the way that my brain <laughs> interprets, you know, euphoric EDM? Is that is that I don't know. I think it's <laughs> most of the time it's like more distracting than not, unless I'm in the working on the right thing at the right time. Like today I literally haven't hit play in Spotify once, you know? Um, so it's it's very common for me not to have any music going on ever. Um, but when I do, yeah, it, it's certain types of work. And like, I can't write with music on really because I don't yeah. listen to music. There's not much I listen yeah, to that doesn't have vocals. You know what I mean? And that's like distracting. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I, anyway, that's, I just thought that was interesting. Um, so yeah. it, it was there any lessons um, that you took from being um, in a couple of metal bands? Any, I, anything I was like thinking that, that about this actually, and um, <laughs> there's one that I will talk about, and I'm gonna in the background. I'm trying to think if there's other stuff because I do I do feel like I I'm always noticing like connections from like things that appeal to me as like a fan of music and things that make sense in business. So one that I actually just thought of the other day was um, there was a lot of bands that I used to listen to when I was a, a kid where I would always be trying to find the guitar tabs online to like learn how to play the songs, right? And with like the sort of music that I listen to, so much of it is like not figure outable, you know what I mean? Because it's too mm. complex and mm. it's it's even with like the tools that we have now for like slowing stuff down and listening to it at like 50%, it's like 240 beats per minute, bad production music. You know what I mean? It's like hard yeah. to hear what the notes are, yeah. Yeah. but you would find bands once in a while that like released official tabs for their stuff on their website where like the guitar player was just like, I wrote it all up. You can like learn how to play it. And, um, it occurred to me the other day that like, that is like such an interesting, um, correlation with just like working in public as like a developer you know what i mean uh, and like open yeah. sourcing your work and uh stuff like that and it was interesting to me to like make that connection and, and realize that i've sort of like valued that as a consumer even in like totally different areas of my life so i think it's like it's not something that strictly applies to programming so when i see things that i feel like are similar and totally unrelated hobbies it sort of elevates those principles to me it makes them seem like like that one is a good one you know what i mean because it seems like it crosses the boundaries between like different areas of life um that's nice yeah so that's like one that stood out to me the other day i think one that is that i have to remind myself of a lot but it's like a really important one that is um 
building stuff online, especially like open source projects and stuff like that, it's impossible to make something that everyone is going to like. You know what I mean? When you're making something that's like paid commercial thing, I think people who don't like it just don't buy it. So it doesn't really matter. You don't really hear from them. When you're making like an open source project, like a CSS framework, like I work on, um, everyone has like their opinion about it, right? There's like people who love it and then there's people who hate it. And I think the most dangerous thing that you can do um, when you're building a product like that is to focus your energy on like trying to make the people who hate it like it, you know? Yeah. And to me, like that's like when Metallica put out the Black Album. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like you leave behind like all the people who uh, really loved what you loved about what you did to try and like appease the people who don't like what you're doing. You're trying to like bridge the gap from the things that you care about to appease like the critics and stuff like that. So I get lost in that a lot when I'm just working on products and open source projects. Um, And what really helps me is trying to like make it draw sort of analogies to other areas of life and think, would I be doing this in this situation or would I want someone else to do this? And the music one is always a good one for me because it's easy for me to think and be like, Would I want like my favorite band trying to write songs that the people who hate them like? Like, no, I would never want them to do that. You know what I mean? Um, I would want them to keep doing the stuff that the people who love what they're doing love even more, even if the people who don't like them don't like it. So when it comes to like what we're doing with, with Tailwind, it's a super controversial way to style applications. It goes against all the traditional wisdom of like separation of concerns and separating styling from markup and and that sort of thing. And we could like try and appease those people by like adding features to the tool that help that let people do things in a way that like we don't really like just because we don't want to be like criticized by them. Or we could just like throw up a middle finger and just keep doubling down on the stuff that is like totally an anti-pattern that those people just despise. But the people who get it, the people that like what we're doing will love, you know? So that's like, uh, I don't know, when I, when I make that analogy and compare that to music, it, it kind of fires me up because it really helps me like position what we're doing more clearly because I'm able to draw that sort of connection to a totally different that, aspect of life. I think that's great. And um, it's, you know, from, from my time in music, um, one of the big lessons that I got, and I think the reason why why we failed, is exactly that. It's basically you you do, you don't want people to feel tepidly about your music. You want people to love your music. Yeah. So if they love it, then other people have to hate it. So you yeah. have to accept that it's going to be at one end of the spectrum if you're actually going to be successful. Yeah. You can't just be in the middle, and that that's definitely I think one, you know the reason. So. If if we if I had been true to myself, um, I think might have had a better chance. But I just want to show you something that I think you might find interesting. Yeah. Um, this is this is just a quick. I'm just going to do a quick little screen share. Sure. So this is the style sheet that I've been using for the last few years. Oh yeah, this speaks to me. <laughs> and I and it was only through my friend um, Mark. It uh, told me he said, hey. You know the way that you do CSS? There's this thing called Tailwind. <laughs> yep, this is it. It's man. Just like, this is it. I mean, like this is this is what I've been doing for you. Yeah. And and, and, and isn't like, it great? Uh, like, isn't it just so it, easy to build everything that you could ever imagine building? It's 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 just <laughs> check this out. Check this out. I even wrote this little um this I do this on every project. I just write a little page that just because I forget what the codes are. Mm, it's just like a little so kitchen t- sink page for <laughs> There's a kitchen sink page and then just a little components page. Okay, you know, you, you yep. bung these three things together and then that's how you get a button. It's perfect. So this, what's interesting about this is that, and this is something I want to quickly bring up as well, is people talk about thinking, okay, what I, how can I create a monetizable idea? And I, well, one of the lessons that I have in the Startup Academy is, look, what do you already do that you don't even think about that really helps you every day? And Dude. it's... It, you just don't even think about it. But I have it's... I have the perfect story for this, okay? So, tell me, tell me. <laughs> so the whole reason that Tailwind even exists is because I was working on yet another SaaS app. This time I was trying to build like a tool for selling digital products online because at the time, 
Gumroad had just like laid off all their staff and um, the founder was just like not really focused on the app because he kind of felt like they had failed, you know, because they couldn't raise another round of funding and things were just kind of stagnant and bugs were popping up and not getting fixed. And I was like, man, my business relies on this. I'm going to build something myself. So I was building this app called Kite Tail for basically doing the same sort of thing that I needed from Gumroad. And I decided um, I'm building it by myself. Um, the best chance I have for marketing this is to try and kill as many birds of one stone as possible. So why don't I just like live stream all my work on the app so that people know that I'm working on it. They can see me building it in public. Um, hopefully a few of the people who see it are people who might benefit from it as customers. And that'll help me find like the first few customers, right? And I have to build it anyways. And it's no slower for me to really live stream it than it is to just build it. In some ways, it's faster because I find I'm more focused on live streams. You don't check Twitter on a live stream. You know what I mean? You work. So I live streamed the whole thing. And I had been using a bunch of this custom CSS stuff, which was like the very first iteration of Tailwind. And there was not a single shred of like not a molecule in my brain that was planning to open source it or turn it into anything. It was just like styles that I had written for my app using an approach that I liked. And on every live stream, the only question everyone was asking was, what CSS framework is this? What CSS framework is this? What CSS framework is this? How are you doing this CSS? Where did this come from? What is this? And then one day I was, I just tweeted, I think I'm going to open source like the CSS stuff from this app that I'm building. And uh, now that thing that was totally just a byproduct of another failed SaaS app is like literally become like my life's work. It's a company that I run now with six full-time people doing like mid six figures in revenue and all because I like live streamed myself working on something completely unrelated and listened to people telling me like what they found interesting about what I was doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's I don't a great know. Story. You, you great. have to, you have to figure out like what people see in you that you don't necessarily like see in yourself. Because we all, like, as, as developers, we all, I'm just speaking to developers here, like, essentially, we're lazy, right? <laughs> that's, 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 that, the, the best developers are the laziest developers. Yeah, so totally. the more lazy you are, the better you get at making your work easier. And when you make your work easier, you come up with little tricks, and those are the tricks and things that you just take for granted that you do them to make your work easier. But actually, that could be a product. Like you like just really go internal and have a think about what you do. But of course your case is, is awesome because you were live streaming it, you were building out in the open. So where do you stand on, on, do you, do you think that in, do you think generally speaking, people should try and build out in the open, open and build an audience? Or do you think that um, they shouldn't, or is it just like, it just depends on th- them? I think, it, I think it probably depends on your strengths, honestly. Like okay. For, for yeah. me, I, I'm like, I've always just been energized by that, you know, like yeah, it's, it doesn't yeah. take work for me to want to build in public. Like I, I love sharing the work that I'm doing and I like, I'm energized by people's like feedback to that, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. for, for me, it just, it's, it's natural. So even if it's not like the absolute best way for me to like draw attention to what I'm doing or, or build an audience around what I'm doing or, you know, have people find the work that I'm doing it's like the lowest effort one, which I think is an important thing for everyone to consider, you know, even if like approach, say like writing blog posts maybe is going to be like 10% more effective for you than uh, hosting a podcast, but like writing blog posts is like, you know, you have to force yourself to do it, you know, but uh, podcasting is like, I would, host three podcasts if i could it's like the most fun that i have all week <laughs> then you should stick with the thing yeah. that like you're gonna find easy the thing that's gonna not only like not drain the energy that you need to actually do the work on the product but hopefully like energize you and give you more energy and get you more excited about it you know i think like jason cohen talks about like um there's like a bunch of different there's it's either three or like four kind of types of work that people do there's like the stuff that you're not very good at and as a result you don't like doing and really drains you. There's the stuff that you're like really really good at and like nobody on your team is better than you at it, but you don't really like it and if you did it all day by the end of the day you'd be like, "Oh my god, just get me out of this building." You know what I mean? <laughs> and then there's the stuff that like you're the best at and also like 
you could do it for 36 hours straight and not even realize that you hadn't slept, you know, because it's just like get, fires you up. And those are like your superpowers, you know, and the more time you can spend in like superpower mode, like yeah. the more success I think you're going to have. So, And that's the other thing to, that gets thrown into that crucible that we were talking about is, of course, it's not just a small thing. It's not just something you want to do, but it's you. Yeah. It's who you are, mm-hmm. like that totally. person that you are and the access that you have to the different people that you have all goes Big in time. the mix. Yeah. So, um, wow. Well, Adam, Adam Watham, thanks so much for coming on texting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for having me, man. This is like a, a bucket list moment for me. This has been a blast. I, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I wish you the best of luck for the future. And uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much thanks for having so much. me.